Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that was first shared on the podcast last holiday season, this is D. DC Benny with a story we call Jewish Christmas. I grew up in Washington, DC in the seventies. My father was an artist, a Polish Jew who came from immigrant parents who had a grocery store. They lived upstairs, the whole situation uh, in the ghetto. So ultimately it was burned down, you know, and like a do the right thing. They moved over from Poland and escaped the Holocaust. Everybody else got killed in the Holocaust, but they made it through. And uh, he became an artist, much to his parents' chagrin. And my mother was a German dancer that he met in New York a modern dancer so they were very creative there was a lot of creativity going on everything was interpreted and he would paint my mother was his muse so there were always naked pictures of my mother in the house on the walls growing up or whatever so that's always nice when your four-year-old friends five-year-olds come over and say is that your mom's pachina and you're like eh so I grew up in this kind of artsy fartsy house like I never watched shows other kids watched it was always like 
Masterpiece Theater, foreign movies. My mom used to take me to see like Fellini and Truffaut and all these movies. I'm a kid, Kurosawa movies. I'm watching Seven Samurai. I'm four years old. And other kids are watching like SWAT and shit like that. She dressed me different. She'd get all the clothes at the thrift shop and had these like little velvet fucking knickerbockers and stuff and shiny shoes. I looked like a little Dutch boy. It was horrible. It was horrible. That part of it was horrible for me. So I never felt like the same as other kids. So because of the German Jew thing, I was growing up in a world that was predestined for conflict. Now, on my mother's side of the family, her father was in the German army. And, uh, you know, that was a topic of discussion. So she uh, converted to marry my father. But it just wasn't enough. So his side of the family sat shiva on him like he was dead to them. Even though my mother converted, my dad married someone who was a German Catholic. So... His family said that he was kind of dead to them. They sitting Shiva is almost like somebody, you do it after someone dies. So it's very dramatic. It's so over the top. And it did not go over well with my mom or my dad. You know, that's it's not nice. But it was all because of this guy that was in the German army. And I remember asking her when I was a kid, was he a Nazi? And she was like, no, he had to join the army. They shoot you. Like, just like, if you don't do your homework, you're going to get shot. That's how it goes down. So... They decided that they were going to move to D.C., which is not a good move if you're creative at this time. This is the early 70s. Very conservative there. We lived in a shitty neighborhood, 14th and P Street, which uh, was a very rough neighborhood. There's like drug dealers and hustlers and this and that. I remember there was a lady with no legs down the hall, the banana lady that we used to go see. and My mom would be like, let's go see the banana lady. And we'd go see her and she'd give me like bananas and she had no legs it was strange and I remember my mom someone trying to break in through the alley in the back there was a screened off porch in the alley and just like one night this guy's prying his fingers through a hole he made in the screen and my mom was taking this broom and just hitting him in the head with a broom repeatedly just beating this guy in the head and he's still he's got a one eye closed trying to squeeze through and she's just smacking him in the head we'll tell him to go home and I'm just watching this three years old so we eventually moved out of that neighborhood. We moved into a D.C. suburb. But we were the only artistic family in the neighborhood. Everybody worked for the government. So it was a lot of, you know, cherry loafers and pressed khakis, George Bush haircuts and stuff like that. And our house was like the fucking Adams family house. It was like you go down the block, there's all these houses that look the same. And then it was our house. And like my dad would find these old doors and windows and glue them together and make enclosed parts of it. It just looked almost like a spaceship from somewhere else. And people would walk by and they, all the houses look kind of the same neighborhood, nice little lawns. And they walk by our house like, what the fuck is that? Who the fuck lives here? You know, and it was my parents. So. My mom would teach dance classes in the house, and it was modern dance, so it was very, it was out there. There was some, like, 70s space music, and people, it was just different. And she would go around and get antiques. She had this thing about antiques. We had no fucking money. We're on welfare. But somehow, 
she would go get these antiques and she would go trashing. She'd go in the trash and find these things and bring them back. So there'd be like these wrought iron fixtures on the lawn and it was just, it looked crazy. It looked like some Edward Scissorhands would live there or something like that, or our house. And people were always like, that's that. That's the Adams family house. So she wears this big hat and everybody called her the bike lady. She'd ride around on a bike. She'd pick up wrought iron antiques in the bike. It was, you can't explain this existence to people, how different it was. You know, everybody else has their big wheels. They're like, what is wrong with your parents? And my dad would paint. And he'd paint my mom naked. And a couple other things, dead birds, uh, biblical scenes, like really crazy Absalom and Achitophel. It was just a, it was just a really intense environment to grow up in. Everything was creative. You know, every dinner was a production. Everything was melded. Religiously, it was very confusing because there was the Jewish part, there was the sort of non-Jewish part. So every year there was a new configuration of how we were going to do the holidays. It was mostly Hanukkah, but then there'd be like a little Christmas stuff. And then also my parents had these friends. There was nobody in the neighborhood they were friends with, but they would import these nutbag friends of theirs so there was the guy who slept in rock creek park in a cardboard box that wrote poetry all over the box the poetry guy my mom loved that guy he eventually got banned for peeing in one of the house plants during dinner uh, my dad was like that guy can't get up during dinner and piss in a house plant it's just we can't have that you know it's great he writes on the box and all that but no more no more and then the trash men would come over my mom and make a breakfast i come downstairs we're eating breakfast with the trash men we had a, an RAF pilot, you know, it was all these random. But my favorite friend of theirs was this guy, Michael, who was this gay opera singer. He was Italian. He had a glass eye from a hate crime. He, he hit on the wrong guy in some bar in West Virginia, and someone beat the shit out of him, and then he had this glass eye. But it was not fitted properly, so it would pop out a lot, especially if you made him laugh. For me, I was just discovering I was funny at that time, so I would, every time he'd come up for dinner, I'd make jokes, and he'd be like, ho, 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 and then the, the eye would bug out, and sometimes it would actually kind of pop out, and he would hold it and show it to me, like, blah, 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 and uh, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, is that fucking eye, man. So these, these are like my parents' friends. At this time in my life, I really, really wanted, I wanted to be like the other kids in the neighborhood. I, I think I was about eight but I, I didn't look like them. I, you know, I couldn't watch the same. Like, I go to school, kids would be like, oh, we watched SWAT or we watched Six Million Dollar Man or whatever. I'm watching fucking Fellini movies, The Grand Illusion. I mean, that's what I would watch. And I couldn't talk to these kids about anything. You know, my mother would read me these morbid German fairy tales for bedtime. There was Der Strubelpeter, which is this tailor that when kids are bad, he comes over with this giant pair of scissors and, like, cuts off their thumbs. <laughs> Or, or like there's one where these kids are making fun of a black kid and he sets them on fire so they're black so they learn a lesson what it's like to be so there's like a moral it was German morality in these stories so it's, I can't even explain how different my upbringing was to everybody around me I just wanted to be like other kids I wanted the same toys the other kids had and the same clothes everybody's got their granimals on or their tough skins or whatever. I didn't have any of that shit I had my little buckle shoes and my velvet vest or whatever it was just Oh, it's traumatic talking about it. The one toy that everybody wanted was this G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. Introducing the new G.I. Joe adventure. And uh, you pull the string in the back and it says stuff. He makes commands. It's like, you know, get to action station. Uh, fire on the mountain or whatever. You know, it said a lot of shit. We're, we're there. Let's go down to the mountain pass. You know, and you pull this and everybody wanted it. My parents were like, no. 
you can't have the G.I. Joe. So I wanted one of those. So my grandmother, who had sat shiv on all this, would once in a while, she'd sneak by, slide me some money. She'd be like, just remember, you're going to be Jewish. You're going to have a bar mitzvah. You're going to date Jewish girls. But here's $5. And then my mom was like, you can't take bribes. You got to decide for yourself later what you're going to be. Don't take any money from Grandma Sadie. So I was torn. You know, I wanted the G.I. Joe. I felt like that would be the thing that would make me normal with the other kids. Like, I'm, I have a G.I. Joe, you have a G.I. Joe, it doesn't matter that I can quote Rocco and his brothers or, or whatever. So, Christmas came around. This is, my parents would fight all the time. Like, the police were always at our house. They, they got to know us. There was always something. They fought with the neighbors. It was very volatile, but they loved each other. They loved each other. So, it was like these fights, these intense fights, but they just loved each other afterwards it was really crazy so i think the ollie frazier fight of all of them that i can remember was during christmas eve it was going to be christmas eve so my parents were going to have all their friends over my mom had just gotten some chair from this antique dealer that this guy i think he had a crush on her he gave her a little discount it was like a layaway thing i don't know what the fuck how the details were we had no money and yet she had this antique chair I mean, if you walked in there, it was just, it was like you're in another world. It's like you're in old Europe somewhere. So she had just brought home one of these chairs. And I could tell my dad was pissed because we didn't have any money, but he wasn't really saying anything. Everybody's like, oh, look at the chair. The chair looks great. Look at the chair. You know, my mom did a dance around the chair. You know, you know, it was a modern dance interpretation. Around the chair. So in the morning, my dad would send me to go get cigarettes. So I get on my bike. I'm fucking eight years old. I'd have a note. I go to the Korean place and I get a carton of Marlboro Reds right and then I, I could go to the liquor store and this is the 70s and I had another note that I would get Almaden Mountain Red Burgundy which is this cheap ass wine I don't even know if they still make it that was some rot gut stuff so I put it in my bike no helmet I didn't have any helmet back then and I'd bring all that shit back so they got their supplies my dad's cooking my dad was a great cook and my mom's playing music and dancing around the house, and everything's kind of cool. And then people start trickling in. You know, this uh, Indian English guy that was in the Royal Air Force, he was talking about bombing Germans. So he w- he would come over. You know, he's been boozing already. The poet in the box came. This was, I think, later that he actually got banned for peeing in the plant. A couple other people, and oh, and there was also a farmer. This farmer would come around the neighborhood, and he would bring uh, food from his farm. And then my favorite guy, Michael, the opera singer with the eye, he, he, he shows up. So everybody's hanging out and the party's starting. They start drinking. They're drinking that Almaden Mountain Red Burgundy. They're smoking. The opera singer guy broke out a little weed. And my mom was like, she smoked it. And she's like, I can't. I want to go back to where I was. I don't like. To. So everybody's hanging out. And what we would do is we would combine. We had this giant menorah that my mother had found somewhere in an antique shop. They would tie bits of Christmas tree branch to it. We called it the tree nor. So the tree nor is in the corner, so we had this kind of Chris Monica kind of thing going on. I remember every year it was something different, but this year it was like really official, and we're going to do that. So my parents have everybody over. I'm thinking about this G.I. Joe. It's not under the tree nor. There's like a wooden thing, and there's a book of Grimm's fairy tales. I've really had enough of the fucking juniper tree, all these morbid uh, stories. And they're boozing. Everybody's getting hammered on this Almaden, and the doorbell rings. It's the antique dealer that my mom has gotten this chair from that she was supposed to pay for. Didn't have any money, so this guy's come to repossess the chair. The RAF pilot 
It's like, you can't take you the bloody hell. Takes a swing at him. They get into a scuffle. And then finally, the farmer goes out to the van and got a two-by-four that had a nail in it. And he was like, this is what I kill hogs with. And you're going to leave that chair right here. And you're going to go back to Armenia or wherever you came from. The chair did stay. I think the chair did stay. I think I repossessed later, but uh, the guy came with reinforcements. So it was just a very tense evening. After that, my dad's like, okay, everybody's got to go. My parents get in this huge argument, right? And every time they got in an argument, the World War II shit came up. So it's Christmas Eve, and I'm hearing it. My dad's like, you go into your body, goddamn you, the, the antiques, we're on welfare. And then she's like, you failed artist, you, you're painting. So all this is going on. They get into it. There's a huge fight. My mom's like, your mother said shiver on me. I'm not shiks. I'm not good enough for you. And he's like, what are you talking? You know, she's like, I wish they burnt your mother in the oven. I wish they stuck you in the oven, right? So my dad is outside when she said that, smoking a cigarette, and she locked him out of the house. And I knew that oven line. I was like, that's like, ugh, it's going to happen. So he punched through the glass, reached in and started unlocking the door, and I see his hand. I mean, all fucking cut up and everything. And I'm like, Mom, go, 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 because he's going to fucking kill you, right? They're yelling. He's wrapping a, a dish towel around his hand. There's fucking blood everywhere. He's like, where is she? Where is she? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then right then, if it wasn't bad enough, this is a thing that my mother used to do when they would argue. She would crank on this German marching music. And so... <laughs> You hear it in the house, like, Eins, 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 you know, it's like Oktoberfest music and German marching music, whatever. And it's like Quasimodo and the bells for him. him. Him hearing that fucking, I mean, his face, you know, he's covering his ears with the bloody hand. He's like, ah, he's punching the refrigerator. He's losing his mind. He's banging on the door. He goes downstairs. He's like, smashes the fucking chair, right? Just destroys the chair. The music's playing. He stayed in the basement, just destroying stuff. She locked herself upstairs, playing this crazy fucking music. That was our, our Christmas Eve, man. It was one of many traumatic things. But like I said, they loved each other. The next morning I get up, the Chris Madonica tree is trashed. But it's like nothing ever happened. Like, he's cooking some breakfast. She comes downstairs. She's like, she looks at him and she's like, you, you want to fight? <laughs> you want to fight? She's like, come on, but you know, fat man, you want to fight? She's kind of teasing him and shit. She's like, are you still mad at me or whatever? And starts poking him and everything. And he's like, oh, he started laughing and he gives her a hug or whatever. And they, and they both apologize to me. And the cycle sort of happened all over again. But it was right then at breakfast. They're kind of making up. Everything feels like it's going to be normal again for the next few days. And the phone rings and it's the opera singer guy. And he has lost his glass eye. And he's like, he's frantically, he can't find it. He doesn't know how he got home without it. And can we look for the glass eye? So we're all looking for it. We're looking under the chair bits. We're looking all over for this fucking eye. And I'm trying to remember, I made him laugh at the dinner table. What did it pop out there or whatever? But then I remember that he used to go out. We had a compost in the back and he would go out and smoke a joint back there every once in a while because my parents didn't do that. I went out and there, like right next to an orange rind, was that uh, glass eye. So I bring it in. Boom, they call him. I get a reward of $5. I get the fucking G.I. Joe. He gets the eye. So, and I, I, it was not like a bribe. My mom was like, you can take that $5. She gave him his eyeball back. So the story does have a happy ending. It all ends, it all ends happy until the next fight. 
you know, which <laughs> was, I think, about four or five days later. That is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.